We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, best game Cox podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, July the 15th, 2021. Today's show, guys, I continue along with my 2021 game-by-game predictions for South Carolina football as we break down the second half of the Gamecock schedule. Will South Carolina go bowling in Shane Beamer's first year? Guys, again, I'll break down the second half of the schedule and lock in my final record prediction for the 2021 Gamecocks. Also, guys, we've got updates with the Yardcocks on the diamond as Skyler Mead is officially accepted a head coaching job. Also, some other changes within the coaching staff. We'll also talk the Yardcocks that were drafted in this week's MLB draft, which one of those guys will sign, which will return. Also, we got news and notes to get into your listener questions and a fantastic interview, fantastic conversation. Former Gamecocks offensive lineman DJ Park joined me for a fantastic conversation. You guys are sure to enjoy, guys. We've got a packed show here on a Thursday, so sit back, relax, enjoy. It's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention on the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing service custom crating and packing for special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group, or of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
friends, boys and girls, happy Thursday. Hope you're all doing well. I am Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up show, as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in, guys. Thank you all so much, by the way, for the love, for the support. Continue to rock with the content, continuing to rock what we do, guys. I am very, very excited as we bring you today part two of my game-by-game season predictions for South Carolina football. Do I have Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks making a bowl game in his first season as head coach? You're going to find that out much more very, very soon. But again, guys, thank you all so much for tuning in. Wherever this may be finding you, whatever you may be doing, whether you're on the commute, you're in the office, you're on the job, you've got the day off, whatever it might be, guys. Again, thank you all so much for the love, the support, continuing to rock with the content, rock what we do. It's a very exciting time of year, believe it or not, as we sit now just 51 days away from kickoff and just a couple of days away from SEC Media Days coming to you on Monday. Shane Beamer slated to speak on Monday, and on Monday's show, we will have a full breakdown of SEC Media Days and everything that we are looking forward to from Gamecocks head coach, Shane Beamer. But again, a very exciting time, man, for the Gamecocks, for business. Obviously, last night we started our live from 10 roof each and every single Wednesday, 5 to 7, especially if you guys are in the city. Be sure to come out to that. Also, I'm back in studio. It feels really good to be sitting back in this chair again behind the mic doing things in studio. Obviously, of course, I appreciate you guys being really flexible and cool with everything. I've been going back and forth from home, uh, helping out with the family and stuff like that after my mom's surgery. But I've had people text me, Chris, do you still live in Columbia? Do you still have your place? Do you have the studio? It's like, yes, yes, I do. I don't want you guys to think I, I moved. I actually just renewed my lease here in Columbia, but uh, been going back and forth, helping out as much as I can. So again, I appreciate you guys being cool and flexible with everything. Obviously, we've got the the dynasty streams that we're playing on Heisman. Those are up and running. We've got... Uh, you know, great things happening within business. We've got an event. We're actually going out tomorrow to go hang out with Stephen Garcia and Perry Orth at their QB1 camp, hanging out with those guys yet again on Saturday at Steel Hands event. So, guys, we got a lot going on. I look at it this way. For yours truly, football season started on Monday. Like, I told you guys before there was no offseason. Really, we're in season right now. Let's just call for what it is. We are in season right now. And, again, when you start giving predictions, you start looking ahead, and you start making projections, that's really where you're like, dude, the season has started. And, again, that's what we're doing today. Really excited. When we left off, let's go ahead and dive into it. Because, again, this is part two of my game-by-game season predictions for South Carolina football in 2021. If you want to hear part one, the first six games, go back to the podcast, episode 470, that dropped on Monday, July the 12th. But again, this is part two. And right now, guys, if you remember, I had the Gamecocks at four and two overall and one and two in the SEC, which I think we'd all agree a four and two start would be very ideal. In Shane Beamer's first year, again, when you keep perspective and you think, hey, this is a program that won two games a year ago, won four the previous, has won six combined games the last two years, I think a four and two start, we'd be pretty damn happy, even with that loss to Kentucky that I picked uh, on Monday's show. But again, I've got South going to come in the second half of the 2021 season at four and two, needing just two wins to make a bowl game, which I think we'd all agree would be a major success in Shane Beamer's first season. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right into it. Game-by-game predictions with scores for these last six games. And the Gamecocks start the second half of the season in very favorable fashion. The home date against the Vanderbilt 
Commodores, Gamecocks, hosting Vandy. It's like a 12 or 13-year winning streak at this point. I know um, I did this before a couple of weeks ago. We broke down every single opponent. Let me find the actual, what is it? 12, 12 in a row. Gamecocks will be looking for their 13th straight win. Of course, beat Vandy last year 41-7 to in Nashville. That South Carolina team that struggled the way they did beat Vandy 41-7. to Vandy with a brand-new head coach and Clark Lee. They come to Williams-Brice Stadium. So a pair of first-year head coaches squaring off. And what's crazy, guys, about South Carolina football, through the ups, through the downs, no matter how good or bad South Carolina has been, one constant has remained. The Gamecocks have always found a way to beat Vandy. And again, this sets up really well for Shane Beamer because you're already 4-2, and 1-2 and two in SEC play, but you're already 4-2. and two. Vandy coming to your place. I think the Gamecocks will have a ton of momentum. They'll be coming off of two straight wins against Troy and at Tennessee and Knoxville. I think the Gamecocks do make it three straight wins. Again, guys, I'm more worried about the East Carolina game than I am Vanderbilt. And it's not even close. Like, for whatever reason, South Ghana just has Vandy's number. No matter how good or bad the both sides are, South Ghana knows how to beat Vanderbilt in football, and they will do that yet again. I think the Gamecocks offense, like I told you guys in the last show, like I told you on Monday, you're going to notice a trend. I think South Carolina is going to be improved offensively this year. I think they're actually going to be pretty dynamic with a mobile quarterback, and we'll talk about that a lot more next week when I start breaking down the offense, the defense, the special teams, and really break down getting the nitty-gritty of breaking down this football team. But I think South Carolina is going to be much improved offensively. I think they flex their muscles a bit against Vandy. Give me the Gamecocks beating the doors at Williams-Brice Stadium by a score. South Carolina 35, Vanderbilt 10. I think it's a fun day for South Carolina. Again, like I said, guys, doesn't matter how good or bad South Carolina has been or even how good or bad Vanderbilt's been. The Gamecocks just know how to beat Vandy. They've beaten them 12 straight. They will make it 13 straight wins over Vandy in this season, 35-10. to 10. I've got the score. Which, guys, before we get into the rest of the schedule, because the rest of it looks like this, at A&M, Florida at home, at Mizzou, Auburn, and Clemson, right? which is a gauntlet. We all agree that is the tough part of the schedule. South Carolina sitting at 5-2 and two right now in my projections and my predictions. 5-2 and two overall, 2-2 two and two in the SEC. Could anyone argue that's anything but a dream start for South Carolina football in Shane Beamer's first year? I mean, even the most garnet glasses Carolina fan that believes, oh, we should be 7-0 or this, that, even with a loss to Kentucky, even with, you know, getting humbled at Georgia, I would say, a five and two star. I even had to take a step back and say, Chris, are you being a little too optimistic? Are you setting the expectations a little too high? But if the Gamecocks are going to have a successful year this year, and I know they know this in the locker room in the building, you got to take advantage of the front half of the schedule. And I think a five and two start is very realistic. But a five and two start would it be a dream start? Columbia will be buzzing around a five and two start. But let's continue. Five and two, two and two in the SEC. Here, the real fun begins as on October the 23rd, the Gamecocks travel to a place they've never won to take on a team they've never beaten. Quite the contrary, right? You've won 12 straight against Vandy. Well, you've never beaten this team. You've lost seven straight to them, the Texas A&M Aggies. That yearly cross-divisional matchup, South Carolina, Shane Beamer, his first game in College Station against Texas A&M. 
And, you know, on Monday's show, we dropped our wins, toss-ups, and losses, right? I told you guys I like to categorize these games and put them in their respective categories. And I have A&M in the loss column. And I saw some of you say, oh, Chris, that's got to be a toss-up. A&M's a toss-up. You know, we'll, we'll get them this year. Guys, until South Carolina proves to me they can beat Texas A&M, I'm just simply not picking it. And, and the last couple of meetings, guys, they haven't even been close. I mean, 48 to three last year at Willie B. The previous year in 2019 was something like 38 to three. Wasn't even a competitive game. Um, I, I think it will be more competitive this year. I want to lead off with that. I think it'll be more competitive. But until South Carolina beats Texas A&M, I don't think anybody in their right mind should be picking the or picking South Carolina to beat the Aggies. And oh, by the way, A&M is going to be a really, really Really good football team this year, guys. On Monday, I'm actually going to be dropping my East, West, and all of my picks, all of my projections. I actually went through that SEC helmet schedule I posted a picture of a few weeks ago. I picked every single game. I picked every single game for every single SEC team. So you guys are going to know who I'm picking. I think Texas A&M is the one team in the West this year that can challenge Alabama. I think Jimbo Fisher has done a phenomenal job coaching there. I think he's done a phenomenal job recruiting there, obviously. A&M's for real, guys, and I, I think it's going to be a rough one against the Aggies. I think South Carolina will, will challenge them early. I want to believe this is going to be a football team that isn't going to be like the, the previous we saw with the previous regime where you come into games like this and you just completely lay an egg and you lay down and you, you get your brains beat in for an entire 60 minutes. I think South Carolina early will compete. A&M's just got too much, man. And again, College Station, it's already a tough place to play and you've never beaten Texas A&M before. Give me the Aggies winning this one. I got Texas A&M 37, South Carolina 20. I think that South Carolina secondary does have a rough afternoon. And also, by the way, I talked about South Carolina's offense, so I think they'll be better. Texas A&M features one of the better defensive lines in the SEC. I think South Carolina will probably have a tough time running the football in that one, which in games that the Gamecocks can't run the football, you might as well just forget it. So give me Texas A&M to win that one. I got the Aggies 37, Gamecocks 20, which would put South Carolina at 5-3 and three overall and 2-3 and three in the SEC. Coming to a very key part of the season, which is your bye week on October the 30th, Halloween weekend, which all the frat boys and sorority girls in Columbia rejoice because you guys get Halloween weekend this year to party and do whatever you want, throw, I don't know, whatever it is. But either way, five and three, two and three at the bye week. Again, I think if you go back and you ask South Carolina fans, would you take that record at your bye week with four games to go? I think most reasonable, rational Gamecock fans are going to say yes. What adjustments will be made in this week for the second half of the season? But five and three overall, again, you're just one win away from getting to a bowl game, and you got a couple of those swing games that I've been talking about a lot. Hey, I listed Florida as a swing game. Missouri, Auburn, you got three straight games that I put in the swing game, the toss-up category, to get that sixth win. So let's go to the following week now. The first Game of November, Saturday, November the 6th, you host the Florida Gators. And what an intriguing matchup this is. As I talked on Monday's show, I believe in my heart of hearts, this is the most likely big upset for South Carolina football this season. Now, a lot of you I've seen on social media say, oh, Florida's going to be terrible. They should be a win. Listen, I understand Florida lost a ton. And I truly believe in the SEC East, it is Georgia then there's a huge gap. But I believe that second team is still Florida. And then there's another gap. 
Florida lost a lot. They lost generational talent. When you look at Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, Trayvon Grimes, some of their other guys on the outside, they lost a ton of talent from last year. And I truly believe, hey, look at LSU last year. You don't just lose guys like that and you don't feel the effects, right? Florida's not on the level of Alabama, right? They're they're not just reloading year after year after year. So I think there will certainly be a drop-off at the University of Florida. But make no mistake about it, guys, this is a Gators team that is still loaded with talent. Loaded with talent. And by week 10, which is the week that you play them, they're going to have things figured out. I have to believe so. Now, I want to address something, too, before I even get into this Florida game. I've heard many people say, Chris, don't you expect South Carolina to get better week after week after week after week? And I do. I think that is a quality we're going to see in this football team. I think that's something Shane Beamer is going to bring to Gamecocks football. Heck, Perry Orth talked about it with me on the airwaves the last time he was on. Here is the problem with that, though. As South Carolina, hey, they're going to be a lot better football team in weeks 10, 11, 12 than they are in weeks 1, 2, and 3. Just naturally progressing, they're going to be better later in the year. But the tougher games come later in the year. So you might not actually see the results in regards to wins and losses that you'd like to see or you figured you'd see by a team that will continue to improve week after week after week. But this Florida game, let's get into it again. The game at Williams-Brice Stadium. And this series, you know, you ask any South Carolina fan, they'll argue. South Carolina should have won at least one of the last three games. 2018, one of the ultimate choke jobs. You're up 17 points in the third quarter in games where you can't close that one out. 2019, you have the lead going in the fourth quarter despite the refs. Despite the refs. Need I say more about the refs in that one? I don't even want to go off on that tangent. And then last year, you see some of the most absurd clock management and game management we've ever seen. That was a one-score game. So you've been very, very close against the Gators the last three years. And Florida... Loses a ton. As I mentioned on Monday, this is the best possible chance at a big upset for South Carolina, and a lot of it has to do with where it falls in the schedule. Again, the Gamecocks coming off a very tough physical A&M game. They're going to get two weeks to prep for Florida, and they're going to get that bye week to lick their wounds, rest some guys, get back to 110%. On the flip side, Florida, that previous week, the week of October the 30th, has their annual rivalry matchup against the Georgia Bulldogs. And we all know, hey, Florida, Georgia, it speaks for itself. So they'll be coming off of a really emotional game, either an emotional high or an emotional low, whatever it might be. With that being said, this game, again, this is going to be one of those games that Shane Beamer and company are going to have the opportunity to provide that statement type of game feel. You know, when you go on the recruiting trail and you're selling the program and you're selling the progress and it's games like this that you can sell to prospects, sell to recruits and say, you can hang your hat on this game and say, hey, look at this. We're close. We're not that far off. We're ahead of schedule. We're only two or three pieces away from competing for the SEC East title. You could be that game changer. You could be that difference maker. Come to South Carolina, do things that have never been done here before. With that being said, though, I listed Florida as a toss-up. And I did that, honestly, last second, guys. I had Florida as a loss going into Sunday night, recording the show for Monday. I had it listed as a loss initially. And I just looked at it, and I said, you know what? Where it falls in the schedule, how it falls, how tough, how competitive the Gamecocks have been against the Gators, I think it's a toss-up. It's not a game I look at and say, you know what? It would shock me if Carolina won. It's not. Because I look at A&M, I look at Georgia, and I look at Clemson in that way. I am confident putting an L in heavy black ink next to those games. 
And if that makes you feel some type of way, so be it. But I feel confident putting an L in heavy black ink. And I already talked about the wins and all that stuff. But I put Florida in the toss-up category because, you know, I wouldn't bet my life savings that Florida is going to beat South Carolina. I think it's going to be a very, very competitive game, a very close game. These games have, you know, they've tended to be that way the last couple of years. With that being said, I think the stars will align. I think everything will come together. I think South Carolina will be the sexy upset pick that week because it'll just make sense how it falls in the schedule. This is the game that maybe this is Shane Beamer's coming out party. You know, you punch your ticket to bowl eligibility and you, you, you beat one of the, the upper teams in the SEC East and all of a sudden, boom, here's South Carolina. I think the Gamecocks come up just short, though. I, I think they come up just short, man. Listen, Florida's still Florida. Florida has talent all over the field, especially if Emory Jones can pan. I mean, this guy was a highly regarded recruit for a reason. Um, I know they were porous defensively last year, but I've just right now gunned ahead. I've got to take the Gators. I, I think it's just, I, I think it's asking a little too much this football team to say they're going to beat Florida in Shane Beamer's first year. But again, I think it's extremely close. Give me Florida 28. South Carolina, 27. Again, I think it's a classic South Carolina. Florida game, down to the wire, but the Gators right now, Dan Mullen, what he's done, building that program, they've got too much. I think they'll be just too much for South Carolina. That's why I've got Florida again winning this game, escaping the upset in Columbia, 28-27, to which again would bump you to 5-4 and four overall and 2-4 and four in the conference. All of a sudden you're saying, okay, we got to get that sixth win. Where's that sixth win? We need to get the eligibility. Like, what's going on? And, you know, I, I saw a projection yesterday from uh, – actually, two days ago from collegefootballnews.com, and they had the Gamecocks losing their last five games in a row, right? The last five in a row. And many fans said, looked at that and said, oh, my God, here we go. I, I, that's just so Gamecock of us. We can't do that. You know, it reminds you – kind of reminds you like 2007, right, when South kind of started 6-1 and one and then lost their last five to finish 6-6. Six and six. Like, oh, my God, we can't do that. You know, we, we, we've got to find a way to break through. No way we can lose those last five in a row. But, hey, the schedule does toughen up in these last five. It just flat out does. This is the gauntlet. So, I can see how back-to-back losses all of a sudden after three straight wins. You're saying to yourself, okay, this game at Mizzou. Very important. We need to get that sixth win. Saturday, November the 13th, in Como. Battle for the Mayor's Cup. Another really, really interesting competitive series the last couple of years. Of course, hey, fans are going to say, Chris, I mean, Mizzou came to Willie B last year with a with a team that just fired their head coach and, you know, basically played Luke Doty. And, hey, I mean, we only lost by seven. We should win. Eli Drinkwitz is 2-0 against South Carolina so far. He's beaten him with App State. He's beaten him with Missouri. And I don't know what it is about Farrat Field. I don't know what it is about that road trip. There's something about it that makes me uncomfortable. There's just something about it that makes me uncomfortable. I don't like that. I've never been there. I've never gone. I might be going this year. I don't know. That's a hell of a road trip to make. But I might be going. I'd like to go. But in games where we play there, it, it just always, it's never been easy. You know, I, I think back, I guess, to 2017 was the one year you could look and say, you know, we had a lot of success, had a really fun night there and whooped up on them pretty good. Outside of that, though, man, it has been a freaking fight every time we have gone there. Been a fight. And Mizzou actually has the series lead in this series now, six and five. So the Gamecocks are going to be looking to even the overall series between the two schools. Again, you look at these two teams and – 
Missouri is one of those, like I said, it, they're, I, I said this when I broke down the opponents. Missouri's one of those teams you look like, you say, like, what are they, you know? What, what direction are they really going? Because last year was just a mixed bag, and they were a 500 ball club, whatever, and um, they got a pretty good quarterback and Connor Basilak, and, you know, Eli Drink is what he does offensively. They got a really good running back. I think it's Tyler Beatty. I hope I'm saying the right guy. Tyler Beatty. Um, they got a really good running game. Got some good pieces defensively, but it's like, yeah, Mizzou's just kind of a middle of the pack. They're just sort of there, right? They're just sort of there. Most fans say, hey, Mizzou shouldn't even be in the SEC, but they're just sort of there. But they are a quality football team. And this is a really important game for Shane Beamer, I think. This is a really important game for South Carolina as a whole because I think Mizzou and South Carolina are a pair of programs, like I said, that are trying to, you know, Georgia's Georgia. Florida, while they may be, you know, reloading or whatever, you know, kind of a rebuilding, I don't even want to, you know, what is a rebuilding year for Florida? Nine and three. You know, outside of those two schools, we'll feel pretty good about, hey, we're, we're contenders. I feel like the rest of the East, it's so wide open. Everybody's like, what are we? What is Kentucky? What is Mizzou? What is South Carolina? What is Tennessee, right? Like, what are we? Are we trending upward? Are we trending downward? Are we staying in the middle? What are we doing? This will be a really big game in regards to SEC East hierarchy and how the two schools are trending. With that being said, unfortunately, right now, I just think South Carolina has more question marks than Missouri has. I think they do. Um, I think they got more question marks. And going on the road, tricky place to play. It feels like we've never really played well at Farrat Field. I think this is another really close game, by the way. I I think this is another back-and-forth battle. Um, South Carolina will take Mizzou to the wire. I think Mizzou at home, though, will do just enough. Wouldn't be surprised me if they kicked a game-winning field goal in this one. I think the Tigers will do just enough to escape South Carolina. So back-to-back weeks, I've got the Gamecocks losing in what you could argue would be really heartbreaking fashion. But I got Mizzou winning this one. Give me the Tigers 30, South Carolina 28. And again, guys, you're noticing these are high-scoring games. I think South Carolina – I know you got Karan Prunty. I know you like your defensive line. You're going to have to win games with offense. Bottom line, defense is still not a strength for you. So a lot of higher scoring games, I think you just missed getting the Tigers here. I've got Mizzou 30, South Carolina 28, okay? Again, I just, whatever reason, I I don't have a good gut feeling about the matchup. Call me crazy, I don't have a good gut feeling. Which at this point now, you are now... Five and five overall, and you are two and five in the SEC. Coming into your final SEC game against the Auburn Tigers at home, Saturday, November the 20th. And what an interesting change of pace this is, because we're used to, you know, the week before the South kind of Clemson game, there being sort of like a warm-up game. Like, this is where Troy would be, or this is where EIU would be. No, you've got the Auburn Tigers for the rematch of last year's game. All the storylines in this one, by the way, it's crazy. But you've got the rematch of last year's game, in which you took down Auburn for the first time since, what, 1933? First time you've beaten them forever. Now you've got the Mike Bobo storyline. You've got the whole Kevin Harris versus Tank Bigsby storyline. Storylines are all, hey, here's another storyline. TJ Finley, who carved you up in Baton Rouge last year for LSU, he's now battling for Bo Nix or battling with Bo Nix for the starting quarterback job. He might be the starting quarterback in this game. Who knows? But either way, a game full of storylines. And, of course, in my predictions, one of the lead storylines will be, hey, you're five and five right now and you're 2-5 and five in the conference. And while we all want to believe in our Gamecocks and say, hey, 
We've still got two more. We just got to win one of the last two. Now, you got to win this. You have to win this one to get to bowl eligibility. You simply put have to win this one. At home against Auburn, you know what looms the following week and the task that that will be. So five and five overall, two and five in the SEC. And I look at this Auburn team. I look at this Auburn team, and I think this is a game, by the way, guys, we're really going to find out about the character and the resiliency of this football team under Shane Beamer. Because I talked about coming off a two straight, coming off three straight losses, the last two being heartbreaking losses to Florida and Missouri. But you return to the friendly confines. And this Auburn team, I said this about Auburn last year when I picked the Auburn game in our 2020 game-by-game predictions. And I picked Auburn to win that game, if you remember, 17-16. to I was tempted to pick the upset, but I was like, you know what? You haven't beaten them in damn near 100 years. Like, I'm not going to be the guy to pick them this year. But I had Auburn winning 17-16. to But I said this about Auburn. I look at this Auburn team, and I feel the same way this year. I look at them. I think they'll be improved. First-year head coach, Brian Harson. What does he have to provide? I still just don't see Auburn as this group of world beaters. I just don't put Auburn in the same category as I do Florida, as I do A&M, as I do Clemson, and as I do Georgia. I just don't put them in that category. You know, I've got it as a toss-up. Certainly it's a toss-up. And Auburn, of course, will be – they'll have their own storylines on their side that will be coming in, you know, looking for revenge and the whole Mike Bobo thing. All my homies hate Mike Bobo. I mean, Willie B is going to be rocking that day or night, hopefully night. Willie B is going to be shaking. People cannot wait for Mike Bobo's return. But I still just look at Auburn. And first-year head coach Brian Harson, Guys, I'll tell you right now, I've heard things off the record from people that would know about Brian Harson and his Auburn program. They're very skeptical of him as a head coach. I don't know why he's so highly thought of. I know he had success at Boise State. But to me, Brian Harson is no better than Shane Beamer. I mean, come on. Like, I just don't see it. So. I think Auburn is a team very similar to South Carolina. They're going to be fighting for bowl eligibility this year. I don't think Auburn is going to be make some jump and be a 9-10 win team and challenge Alabama in any way. And, you know, again, I think with the Gamecocks coming off of back-to-back heartbreaking losses, I think they'll show resiliency. I think they'll show toughness. I think they'll show character. And I've actually got the Gamecocks making it two straight wins over the Auburn Tigers. I think the South Carolina running game is going to take it really, really personally. All the Tank Bigsby, all oh, Tank Bigsby's this and Tank Bigsby that. And don't get me wrong, dude. Tank Bigsby's a fantastic running back. There's a reason we recruited him. There's a reason we wanted him. But I think the guys, Kevin Harris, Marshawn Lloyd, and I think at this point too, you know, of course, I mean, we're in week like, what, 12 now? I mean, I think at this point, certainly, like I told you guys, I expect the offense to be much better. I think the offense will be clicking, and I think the Gamecocks find a way to make it two straight wins over Auburn. I cannot see South Carolina allowing Mike Bobo to come into Williams-Brice Stadium and beat them. I, I just can't see it. I cannot see it. So give me South Carolina. I've got the Gamecocks beating Auburn, yes, punching their ticket to bowl eligibility in Shane Beamer's first season. Give me Carolina 38 and the Auburn Tigers 27. Yes, Carolina scoring 38 points. I know some of you are saying, what the hell, Chris? Jaw drop. I'm telling you, I think the offense is going to be better, and I'll break that down more in depth next week, but I think that offense will be better. South Carolina got that Tiger-sized monkey off their back last year when they took down Auburn. I think they'll make it two straight wins with the Tigers. I like the Gamecocks, 38-27, to which, again, would punch that ticket to bowl eligibility 
before the annual rivalry matchup the following week. So you after that game, sit at six and five overall, and you finish the SEC season with a three and five SEC record. We'll talk about that more in just a second. Now, moving into the final game of the 2021 season, Saturday, November the 27th. That team from the upstate comes to town. I'll be, I'll be honest with you guys. I'm really surprised there aren't more Tigers fans bitching about the fact that this game is being played in Columbia. Because if you remember, the 2019 game was played at Willie B, and there was no game last year. So I'm really surprised there aren't more of their hillbilly, redneck, degenerate, lamb-loving fans. Um, I, I'm surprised there aren't more of them complaining about this game being in Columbia. Either way, I digress. You come in this game, you've punched bulgeability, you got momentum, you got a huge win at home against Auburn, you're six and five, three and five in SEC play, but you have the chance to get to seven wins in Shane Beamer's first year. And what I thought was crazy, I've seen on social media, guys, is this. I talked about the most important game on Monday's show, and I put out a clip on social media about this, talking about the ECU game and why I think it's the most important, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I've seen people on social media saying, Chris, no, the Clemson game is the most important game of the year. And let me say this. I hate Clemson. I I loathe Clemson. I I hate them more than any other team, right? But when you look at the most important game of the 2021 season, like realistically, when you sit back and look at the schedule, Clemson's not the most important game. And I think Shane Beamer, or excuse me, Steve Spurrier, actually. Steve Spurrier brought a very much-needed attitude shift to the South Carolina Clemson rivalry. And this is not me trying to downplay the rivalry or take away anything away from the rivalry. It is huge. 365 days a year, 24-7. It is felt by the people in this state. We all understand how big of a deal it is. But I loved what Steve Spurrier instilled. He said, hey, you worry about winning the SEC East. Worry about winning the SEC first. Beating Clemson will take care of itself. Beating Clemson should not be the number one focus of the season. So I just want to put that out there, by the way, that really has nothing to do with my prediction at all, but Clemson's not the most important game of the year, man. I, just bottom line. It's not, but this week, it will be the most important game this week. The best rivalry in no matter the sport, my opinion is the best rivalry. It has taken the most personal. It is the most bitter rivalry in the entire country. And this game is obviously intriguing for many reasons. Of course, anytime Count and Clemson get on the field, um, you know, it's it's must-see TV. But the fact of the matter is this. This rivalry's dead. That's where I'm going to start. The, the rivalry's dead. A six-game losing streak to the Tigers, and it's not just the fact it's a six-game losing streak. It is how you have lost. You know, that's one thing nobody can debate. Nobody can argue. For whatever reason, the last staff, the previous regime, they had no answer. I mean, they had absolutely no answer for the Clemson Tigers. None at all. I mean, you think Will Muschamp's first South Carolina Clemson game was a 56-7 to loss, guys. 56-7. to One of the worst losses in the history of the rivalry. And, you know, people will argue, oh, well, what about 2018 when Jake Bentley threw a 500 yards? I mean, were, were you really ever knocking on the door to win that game? No, you weren't. You, you weren't. People were celebrating and felt good and encouraged about a 21-point loss on the road. I mean, that was the state of the program at that point. Either way, you look at this game, and 
you know, guys, I mean, I hate to say it. It pains me to say it, but I look at this one very similarly to how I looked at the Georgia game and how I look at the Georgia game going into the season. Bottom line is this. You are not as talented as Clemson is. Right now, you're not. And while we are in the honeymoon phase and there's a complete culture shift and an energy shift and a momentum shift, and that's great, and this fan base and this program needed that. But I don't give a damn who the coach is. Nick Saban could come coach this team this year. At the end of the day, it's about Jimmy's and Joe's. It's about having the players. And right now, South Carolina does not have the players to match up with Clemson, go four quarters toe-to-toe, and win the football game. Now, with that being said, here's what I am interested to see in this, because this will be Shane Beamer's first game as a head coach in the rivalry. He's no stranger to it, right? was here 2007-10, watched the Gamecocks, and was a part of that staff that beat them in 2009-2010. His special teams made big impacts in both of those wins. Nobody's expecting you to beat Clemson this year, right? I, I think I speak for Gamecock fans and I, realistic Gamecock. Nobody's expecting South Carolina to beat Clemson this year. Nobody is. And I think South Carolina fans, you know what? As much as it pains us, we can live with that. But some of the scores we've seen recently and, and the way the rivalry just completely slipped away from South Carolina with the previous staff, the previous regime, I wonder how long it will take Shane Beamer to, and again, as sad as this sounds, just bring competitiveness back to the rivalry. Put some juice back in this thing, man. Just just bring some energy back to it, because right now, guys, it is dead. It's dead. South Carolina fans can say nothing to Clemson, and I know that hurts to hear. There's many of you probably that are cussing me right now, but that's a fact. That's the reality. We can't say a damn thing to them. You know, my goal, my dream one day for the business and the podcast and the content is to South Carolina is just beating everyone and we're going 12 and 0, 15 and 0, winning national titles. And every podcast is just talking shit to Clemson. You know, a lot of you ask Chris, like, you never talk about Clemson on the show, actually, like, tip your cap. You know, that's great. I'm glad you don't. Well, guys, the reason I don't, we have nothing we can say. I mean, we all hate Clemson to hell with those dudes. Fuck them, right? As I've said before, fuck Clemson. But we can't say anything other than that. It's been uncompetitive on the field. And in this game, realistically, you'll probably be a 24, 24 and a half, maybe a 27-point underdog on your home field to your rival. Can Shane Beamer, if nothing else, just like I said about the Georgia game, can Shane Beamer line up his South Carolina team and at least give Clemson hell for 60 minutes? Make them earn it. At the end of that game, win, lose, or draw, Clemson say, damn, we don't want to go up against them again. They made our life hell for 60 minutes. We had to earn everything we got. Because it just doesn't feel like that was the case the last couple of years. You've just gotten pushed around. You've gotten bullied. With that said, though, guys, long story short, right now, Clemson's just got more talent than you. Bottom line. They've been recruiting at a high level for the past seven, eight, nine years, and you have got to go get the Jimmys and Joes. I know you have talent, but you don't have talent to that level. So I've got Clemson getting the win. Um, I think the Gamecocks secondary gets exposed. I, I think it's going to be a rough day defensively. Um, I do think the offense will show some life. It, you know, again, can South count at least early on in this game? When Clemson punches, can you punch back? Can you show life? Can you show something where it's like, hey, maybe, just maybe, we're not that far off from making this game a game that Clemson actually looks at and says, hey, we have to worry about that one against South Carolina again. 
But unfortunately, I don't think it's this year. I think Clemson's far too talented. Um, you know, I think DJ Uyunglele for them is going to be a solid option. I think he's going to be a good quarterback. They got a great running game. Their defense returns 10 of 11 starters. Uh, Justin Ross returns on the outside for them. I mean, Clemson's loaded. They're going to be a playoff team yet again. Just call it for what it is. I hate to say it, but they will. And they will beat you. Give me the Tigers 45, South Carolina 20. Um, again, you know, I'd love to be wrong. I'd love to be wrong on this one, guys. I'd love to be wrong. But until the Gamecocks show us they can match up with Clemson and go be competitive, it's just hard to see. And I just think right now, you got to give Shane Beamer time. You got to have patience. You got to go out and get the ball players. Let's just see a well-coached football team. I mentioned this about the entirety of the season, but definitely in a game like this, let's see a well-coached football team. A team that goes out there, plays discipline, doesn't shoot itself in the foot, plays intense, plays physical, gives Clemson hell for 60 minutes. I will feel good no matter the score if we see those things. Because, hey, after that point, it's like, you know what? Now we're well-coached. Let's go get some big-time football players. Because you know who beat Clemson in 09, 10, 11, 12, 13? Yeah, sure, Steve Spurrier schemed it up. Yeah, sure, Steve Spurrier's play calls and Lorenzo Ward. But no, who beat Clemson was Jadavion Clowney, Alshon Jeffrey, Stephen Garcia, Connor Shaw, Marcus Lattimore, Melvin Ingram, Travian Robertson, Cliff Matthews, Eric Norwood. The list goes on and on. Ace Sanders, Nick Jones, the list goes on and on, guys. You got to go get guys like that. You got to go get guys like that. Those guys aren't walking through the door anytime soon, and you don't have anybody on your roster like that right now, or at least you don't have the depth and you don't have the stars you had like on those teams. You got to go find them. But again, I've got Clemson beating you 45 to 20, closing out your season with a final record of six and six overall, three and five in SEC playing in the Gamecocks, being bull bound in Shane Beamer's first year. Now, I'm not going to predict which bowl South kind of goes to or do they win or lose that bowl game, guys. I have no idea. Going to depend on the matchups. But again, the regular season, locking it in, my 2020 official, excuse me, 2021 official season predictions. They're in the books. Lock them in. Finalize it. Six and six overall, three and five in the SEC. And my question now I have written in my notes, it's how would the fan base feel? Bowl bound in Shane Beamer's first year. Guys, a bowl game Six wins or better in Shane Beamer's first season, you have to be ecstatic. You had, I know the second half of the season, it's going to be rough. I've got you finishing up one and four, but the schedule just flat out toughens up. Like I said earlier, guys, this is going to be a team that gets better from week to week. You're going to be a much better team in weeks 10, 11, and 12 than you are in weeks one, two, and three. Here's the problem, though. Number one, everybody else is going to get better, too. It's not like South Carolina is the only team in the country that's going to get better week to week. Everybody says that. Everybody does that. So that, and then also, as you get better, unfortunately, you're probably not going to see the results of it because the schedule gets so much harder in that second half. That's why it is so pivotal you take advantage of the front half of the schedule. But again, I've got 6-6, six and six, the final record for the Gamecocks, three and five in SEC play. But again, most importantly, making a bowl game in Shane Beamer's first year, which I think will be a massive success for Coach Beamer. I think, hey, you guys like the recruiting momentum right now, what's going on in recruiting and, and all the momentum we have. Hey, you make a bowl game and you go win that bowl game, like Perry Orr said on my airwaves, you will see recruiting change. You will see recruiting change at the University of South Carolina. You will, because now you'll be able to sell on-field success. You'll be able to sell that. 
to these big-time prospects, when you're trying to fight with the Georgias, the Floridas, the Tennessees, the North Carolinas, the Clemsons, all these other schools, you'll be able to sell that on-field success. So, again, I've got 6-6 six and six as the final record for the Gamecocks, 3-5 and five in SEC play, guys. Would love to hear your thoughts, your predictions. Where am I right? Where am I wrong? Where do you disagree? Where do you agree? Again, 6-6 six and six overall, 3-5 and five in the SEC. I think for the most part, because I think for the most part, Gamecock Nation has realistic expectations when it comes to Shane Beamer, his first season, and what he's inheriting and the job that he, you know, the job that he has in front of him. But I think Gamecock Nation, for the most part, is realistic about expectations this year. And I think most 99% would feel really, really good about a six and six finish. Even with that loss to Clemson, I mean, that's going to be bitter. It's going to sting. But six and six in the first year, guys, when you keep in perspective, we're talking about a program that has won six combined games the last two years. Winning six games in year one of Shane Beamer will be nothing but a success. And I think they do get there. Again, six and six overall, three and five in the SEC. Lock in my predictions for the 2021 South Carolina Gamecocks football team as the Shane Beamer era begins in Columbia. So again, guys, leave me your feedback, leave your thoughts. Would love to hear your predictions on how you think South Carolina football will end up this season. All right, let's switch gears a little bit, guys. Let's go from the gridiron to the diamond, talking about the South Carolina Gamecocks baseball team, the Yardcocks. A couple updates for the Yardcocks, guys, as the big news that broke yesterday. Mark Kingston and company are looking for a new pitching coach. Skyler Mead has been hired as the head coach for the Troy University Trojans. Also, Trip Couch, who is an assistant coach and recruiting coordinator, he is headed to Arizona under new, their new head coach, assuming the same position. First things first is this, guys. I hate getting these questions, by the way. So I, people are like, oh, my God, what does this say about the program? Is everybody jumping ship? You know, they're cleaning house. Guys, Skyler Mead is a pitching coach. You get offered a head coaching position basically anywhere, that's an upgrade. I, I know you're an SEC pitching coach, this, that, whatever, but this is like the opportunity of a lifetime. And I told you guys all season long, I know Skyler Me got, got way too much heat, by the way. Skyler Me got way too much heat. One of the best up-and-coming young coaches in college baseball. I'm not really surprised this happened. You didn't know when it was going to happen. I mean, selfishly, of course. I, you know, I wanted Skyler Mead back. I think he's a really high-quality pitching coach and a great baseball mind in our game today. But uh, well-deserved. Congratulations, Skyler Mead. Very excited to watch the progression at Troy University, that baseball program. They got a really, really good one. And people asking, Chris, who will Mark Kingston go get? Who do you hire now for your pitching coach? I can assure you they are going to go get someone that is more than qualified for the job that will be a great addition to Gamecocks baseball. I have no doubt about that. And again, Trip Couch, Taking an opportunity at Arizona, guys. We don't know behind closed doors. Does he know the guy that got hired there? Does it make sense for families? Is he getting paid more? I mean, guys, it is a business. It is a business, right? It is a business. So, South Carolina coaching staff now. One of the big storylines of this preseason will be replacing your pitching coach and replacing some other pieces on your coaching staff. But, again, congratulations to Skyler Mead, the new head coach at Troy University. Really good stuff. Also, on the Yardcocks side of things, of course, the MLB draft took place this week. The Gamecocks with the third most or tied to the third most amount of players that were drafted amongst college teams with eight guys drafted. Man, congrats to all those guys. Brett Carey, Danny Lloyd, Thomas Farr, Brandon Jordan, Andrew Peters, Wes Clark, Brady Allen, 
and Julian Bosnick, the eight Gamecocks that were drafted in the 2021 MLB draft. Now, the question turns to this. Chris, which guys are coming back? Which ones are going to sign? Right now, if I had to guess gun to head, I'm saying Julian Bosnick will be back. Danny Lloyd is 50-50, I think, depending on money and situation and other things. I think the rest sign are gone. And I know there's many people out there that say, Chris, I mean, you know, Wes Clark was a 10th rounder. Like, why wouldn't he come back and improve his draft stock? I think what people have twisted in their minds is this. You know, it is not a sure thing, guys, that if you come back, you're going to get drafted again. It's not. As much as you might think it is, it's not. And so a guy like Wes Clark has to evaluate himself and say, okay, I can go back. Number one, am I going to be higher than a 10th round draft pick? Number two, am I really going to have a better year next year than I had this past season where I led the SEC in home runs? You have to take those things into account, guys. So, you know, another guy, Andrew Peters, you know, a guy that's come off an injury. He has fought. He went through a year, year and a half of rehab to get to this point. He will sign. There's no question. So I think Julian Bosnick, I'd be surprised if he doesn't come back. Danny Lloyd, like I said, is 50-50, but I really think the rest of those guys – out of Clark, Allen, uh, Jordan, Farr, and Peters, if any of those guys, and who else am I missing? Who is, uh, Brady Allen, Wes Clark, Andrew Peters, Thomas Farr, Brandon Jordan, and uh, who am I missing? There's one more. There were eight guys drafted. Who am I missing? Good Lord. Either way, um, if anybody, if any of those guys come back, guys drafted in the first 10 rounds, I would be shocked. I would be absolutely shocked, to be honest with you. Also, hey, the big news in the draft, as I know Cooper Kinney's going to sign, but uh, you get Braswell and Thaddeus Ector committing to come to school. That is really, really big news and a huge boost for Mark Kingston's squad. Okay, let's move to one quick note, and then we will move into your listener questions, which you got a lot of listener questions on today's show, as you can imagine. And the note is this, happened Wednesday around noon, Mike Wyman, wide receiver Mike Wyman, has officially entered the transfer portal. And, of course, Gamecock fans didn't react irrationally to this or overreact or anything of the, of the sort. Guys, here's the thing. And I have people ask me, you know, Chris, what does this mean for, um, what does this mean for you know, the, 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 the status of the wide receiver room? And are we better than we thought? Are we worse than we thought? Is Mike Wyman a bust? Is he this? Guys, Mike Wyman was hurt last year. I know he's a four-star prospect, but Mike Wyman was hurt last year. And I think it's simply a situation of he got buried on the depth chart and wants an opportunity to go somewhere else and play. It's that simple, guys. I don't know why fans, they expect guys that come to their school, like no matter the situation, to, oh, you're not playing? Well, just sit on the bench then. Just ride the bench, but be a Gamecock. Like, no, these dudes go to school to play. So, Wish I wish Mike Wyman nothing but the best. Um, it's you know it's unfortunate that you know he couldn't make an impact at South Carolina. I wish he could have. I certainly wish he could have made an impact at South Carolina, but you know, it is what it is. So um, sure he'll have success at his next stop. But I, I think listen, it's just the wide receiver room. The issues there are not lack of bodies. It's just lack of production, and you know. In, a, in an offense, especially guys where I've told you, I think we're going to run it 70-30 anyways. And I doubt we're going to be running many five wide sets. I mean, if you're eighth or ninth on the depth chart, it's probably best for you to 
go somewhere else and try your hand at another school. So I think that's most likely what it is, guys. I wouldn't look into it any further than that. Wish Mike Wyman nothing but the best, and we will focus on the guys that we have on the roster as we go into fall camp. So we'll leave it at that. All right, let's move into your listener questions, guys. Actually, really quickly, one quick update, something that just happened as we're actually on the air. As I'm recording this, J.J. Inigbare has just posted a photo on Instagram of him rocking the number one jersey. So it looks like J.J. Inigbare has a brand new number. He will wear, wear number one for the Gamecocks. How about that? We love defensive linemen wearing small numbers, by the way. That's always a really cool thing. So, J.J. Nibare, update your rosters, folks. Wearing number one for the Gamecocks. All right, let's move to your listener questions, guys. We'll start with Austin G underscore 45. Who do you believe starts for us at linebacker? Well, it's a 4-2-5 scheme. I think it'll be Debo Williams and either Sherrod Green or Mo Caba. I think it'll be one of those two guys at the spot. Um, Krusty Andy says, Florida and Auburn seem the most beatable. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you. You know, I know many, many people will look at Mizzou. I just, you know, like he told you guys, I, that that game in Como, I, it, it just, I don't feel comfortable with it. I don't know why. It's just a game I do not feel comfortable with for whatever reason. So I, I do agree with you. Those two home dates against Florida and Auburn, I think those will probably serve as your best opportunity to get that sixth win. I do believe, I do agree with that. Allen underscore Smith, 0109. Could we be a lot better than most people think? Well, Alan, most people think we're going to be bad. I'll be honest with you. Most people like outside of South kind of circles don't think we're going to be very good. So yeah, I'd actually agree with you. I think we could be a lot better than a lot of people think we're going to be. Now, if you're talking eight or nine wins, no, but I don't think there's many national folks that are picking the Gamecocks to make a bowl game. So yeah, I think South Carolina could exceed expectations this year, national expectations. I'll say that. Uh, LB.Cannon4, what is the best possible outcome of the season? I think it's eight and four. Eight and four still feels really, really, really aggressive. But, you know, if, if some things, you know, I've got two games, like I said, back-to-back weeks where the Gamecocks lose by a point to Florida and two points to Mizzou. There's two wins right there. There's your eight and four. So I think it's possible if you can beat Kentucky too, but I, I don't know, man. I just think to expect a team that won two games last year and six games combined in the last two seasons, to expect this team to win every swing game basically that it plays in, I think that's asking way too much of Shane Beamer in year one. But best case scenario, let's say best case, everything clicks. I'll give you eight and four as the best case scenario. Um, Henry Stewart, zero five. Do you think we're on the fast track back to being a powerhouse? I hope so. Hey, you know, be a well-coached team. Keep recruiting. Keep adding good players, stacking good classes on good classes. All of a sudden, you'll look around, and we'll be a really good football team. We'll be a really good football team. Justin underscore Clemmer says, we need a Coach Beamer interview. Keep up the great work and momentum spurs up. Justin, hey, I'd agree with you. The uh, the airwaves are wide open for Shane Beamer to come on. And I, and I like to believe, I'll just leave it at this, I like to believe that will happen sooner rather than later. I'll just leave it at that. Um, one last question. It comes from my guy, Tim, who normally calls in. Tim texting in this time. Tim, I appreciate you shooting over the text. Um, so he texts in. 
He says, hey, Chris, wanted to get this text in for tomorrow's show. Sorry, I haven't called in a while. I completely agree with your prediction for the first half of the season. I think four and two is certainly obtainable. In regards to the second half of the schedule, the Gamecocks have, have to come out and assert their will and dominate Vandy. Get that fifth win, and they can inch closer to a bowl berth. I don't think they have enough to go toe-to-toe with A&M. I just want to see a competent strategy and not have a repeat of last year's fiasco. You have to find a way to win one out of Mizzou, Florida, or Auburn. I think they can. Just think if they could take two of three. Mizzou was there for the taking last season, and we've had interesting games with Florida the past few years. williams Bryce will be rocking in that Auburn game, and maybe it's enough to push the guys over the edge. I firmly believe 6-6 six and six is doable for this team, and even 7-5 is very possible if things go their way and they receive some good fortune. Tim, appreciate the text, man. Very good insight there from you, and I agree with you. Listen, 7-5 and five is doable. Um, you know, I think picking this team to go anywhere from 5-7 and seven to 7-5 seven and five, I think is a fair and realistic expectation. Right now, like I said, I am sticking with that 6-6 six and six mark. But certainly, certainly. Seven and five is doable. And what a success that would be in Shane Beamer's first season. Again, guys, let me check one more time to make sure we don't have any voicemails for the show. We do not. Okay, good. Guys, thank you all so much for the listener questions, being interactive. Guys, one quick thing also. We've got our interview coming up. Um, If you have not joined the Big Cock Club, be sure to do so. Be sure to do so. Very exciting stuff. We're actually rolling out a brand new perk for Big Cock Club members where you guys will have the ability to submit questions to into the Big Cock Club Discord. There will be a certain channel. You guys can submit questions. I'll take three or four each time, each interview, and ask those questions to our guests. So just another perk, guys. We've also got the exclusive Discord. We've got the merchandise. You can find the Big Cock Club on Patreon. That's where you can join. And again, it'll give you... All the perks you can see on there. There's a tons of stuff, guys. First party questions for the Daily Crow, the exclusive Discord, the exclusive merch, private meet and greets. We're also going to do special Q&As and live streams and stuff like that within the Discord. A lot of great stuff happening. Again, I really, truly do appreciate the people who have already joined the Big Cot Club, have joined that Big Cot Club Discord and Patreon, guys. Thank you all again so much for the love and support. It means the absolute world. And again, we're having a blast rocking and rolling with it for sure. All right. Guys, got a great interview, got a great conversation coming up. So don't go anywhere. Former Gamecocks offensive lineman DJ Park as we discuss his South Carolina career, the ups, the downs, Steve Spurrier's retirement. Will Muschamp a ton to get into with DJ and a great conversation, guys. Cannot wait for y'all to hear. It's all brought to you by our friends over at Manscaped. Guys, summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil your beach bob? Well, guess what? You're in luck. Our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation performance package, which includes the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Compliment your summer bob with a trim from the leaders in male grooming. The sun is shining and call your name, fellas. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for a hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the promo code TSUS20. Again, that's promo code TSUS20. Guys, we've all been there. We're trimming. We cut ourselves. We nick ourselves. We're bleeding. It hurts. It burns. It's no bueno, man. There's no way to live your life. Leave that in 2020, guys. It's time to bundle up with the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver ball deodorant, crop provider toner, performance boxer briefs, and 
a travel bag to hold your goodies. Guys, first off, the new Performance Package 4.0 includes the new Lawnmower 4.0. This trimmer is insane. Dare I say it is the GOAT of ball trimmers. Yeah, I said it. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor. A new multifunction on-off switch can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn the 4 1000k led spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave and guys did i mention this trimmer is waterproof as well in the shower in the wild and from your chest pubes all the way down to your ball throw the lawnmower 4.0 is the best trimmer for you do you want to take your grooming game even further to the next level guys the performance package 4.0 also includes the weed whacker to chop your worst weeds up top in your nose and your ear the weed whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Man, say that five times fast. This nose and ear air trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent snicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Guys, seal the deal with Manscaped's liquid formulations. Before heading outside, use Crop Preserver Ball deodorant to keep you on your game in the heat. Then after trimming the lawn and whacking the weeds in the heat, give your beach balls a boost and use the Crop Reviver. Guys, Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag, which I swear by that travel bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. Guys, get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code TSUS20 at manscaped.com. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping with the code TSUS20 at manscaped.com. Guys, escape the shrubs and weeds this summer and shine with Manscaped. Again, guys, appreciate you all tuning in. Thank you all so much for love and support. Now, enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks offensive lineman DJ Park. All right, joining us on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2013 to 2017. During his career, he started three games at right tackle for South Carolina, but played in a ton more. Also played in the CFL for professional football, but also helped the Gamecocks win three bowl games in Columbia. Like I mentioned, guys, had a big impact in the trenches during his time at South Carolina. Very pleased to be joined by former Gamecocks offensive lineman, DJ Park. DJ, I appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for doing this. Yes, sir. It's a pleasure to be on. Absolutely. So, DJ, I want, actually want to go back to the beginning for you because you are a guy from the state of South Carolina, from Dillon, South Carolina, and you are a pretty highly thought of recruit. Just talk about the recruiting process for you. Which schools did it come down to? And uh, why did you eventually choose South Carolina? Because, again, you get there at a really interesting time. Of course, the Gamecocks are having – you know, massive amounts of success, you know, while you're in high school and stuff like that. But why'd you choose South Carolina? Uh, we were starting from the beginning, uh, going back when I first started getting recruited. Uh, South Carolina is one of the places I always end up going on the weekends. We had a lot of South Carolina fans here. And uh, me and my teammates from high school, two other guys that ended up going to South Carolina for a while, uh, we always just kind of stayed down there in South Carolina. And I always wanted to play in the SEC. And uh, it was close to home, like really close to home for me, only an hour and a half away. And then, uh, I don't know, I just kind of like the atmosphere there. I like the vibes. I love the, the energy, especially on game day. And I'd probably say the energy on game day is what really kind of pulled me towards South Carolina. Yeah, and I, I was going to say, you're a guy like me, DJ, that grew up in the state of South Carolina. So we both kind of saw, like, the evolution of Gamecock football. How crazy was it? Again, I mean, it was right in the peak of when – you know, you're getting recruited and South Carolina's winning the SEC East and then, 
you know, winning 11 games three straight years. And like you said, the energy and the atmosphere around Willie B was just, I mean, it was unprecedented during that time where I feel like you were getting recruited. I feel like it'd be hard just for a recruit to, to step into that atmosphere and really go anywhere else. Oh, yeah, man. It was it was just insane. I got to witness uh, when they beat Alabama that year in 2010. I got to see the, uh, <laughs> them playing Georgia. Like, man, it was just phenomenal, just the energy in their face. And then the fans were just top-notch. I mean, some of the nicest fans in the world, win or lose. I can't, I can't – like, that's, that's what I really appreciated about going there, especially when I got there. For sure. Now, when you got there, Sean Elliott, of course, was your position coach. And I want to get to him more in just a second. But Steve Spurrier, of course, the head ball coach, you got to play for a legend. Um, he has different relationships with, you know, with each of his players and certainly the, the positions, I guess, you know, obviously with the quarterbacks, he's toughest on them and the wide receivers. But obviously his offensive line, he demands a lot out of you guys as well. But talk about those first interactions with Steve Spurrier. What were they like? What do you most remember from the, from the head ball coach? Uh, I can say I most remember uh, the play calls because my freshman year had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> But uh, just sitting to be around him and seeing, like, how much, how really deep he was in the football, not just at the stadium. It's like even when he's playing golf, he's talking about football. When he's in the <laughs> weight room running on the treadmill, he's thinking of play. It was crazy to see, like, how deep and how deep he was into it. And I was like, I love that part of it. And um, him as a person, he's a great guy. But he's going to be hard on you. He expects the best out of you at all times. For sure. Now, that first year, DJ, of course, you redshirted in 2013. So you got to kind of sit back and 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 watch Sal kind of do what they did in 2013 with a senior Connor Shaw and Jadavion Clowney. I could just go down the list of all the names, obviously. But Gamecocks had a really deep offensive line that year, and you got to redshirt and sort of sit back and develop. Uh, how do you feel like that year helped you? I mean, did it help you as far as uh, – obviously, we know – you know, the physical attributes and everything else, the development that goes into it. But how do you feel that fr- that freshman redshirt year helped you your first year on campus? I definitely say the biggest thing was getting to see what like, college football leading into pros was really all about. And you got to see that, like, okay, everybody's good now. It's not just yeah. like you're going to be a walk in the park. It's not, like for the person, I had to, I had to like, find a scout team. Mm. So I got an everyday up front of, like, oh, this is the top. <laughs> defensive lineman in the league right here so it's everyday occurrence and I got to learn a lot from the older guys and they helped me out a lot yeah I was gonna say you just said you had to block Clowney on scout team that's probably a pretty rude welcoming to college football and SEC football when not only Clowney though people forget like Devin Taylor's and the Chaz Sutton's and and all the athletes we had up front of the defensive line I mean Really, you think it's a great example of iron sharpens iron because you're not going to see anybody better in game than probably what you faced in practice Oh, yeah, man. Uh, especially my freshman year, our defense line, they, all of them were phenomenal players. And like, uh, I completely understood why we went 11 and 2 and why our defense was so good. Like, they really set the standard for a lot of, uh, just a lot of uh, how things were going to go. And even like going on towards life now, like every every time I go to a different place, I always compare my defensive line to my freshman year defensive line. Right. Right. The best of the best. Why not? Now, I talked about Sean Elliott, DJ. I want to get more into him because he's a guy that obviously played a huge impact in your career and, uh, you know, I, I think had a major impact on South Carolina football as a whole, was run game coordinator, offensive line coach. And I've had, I've had some of your former teammates on, and they talk about just that relationship with, with Sean Elliott and the type of man he was, the type of coach he was, everything, the way he approached the game. Obviously, he's doing great things now at Georgia State. But what was that relationship like with him, man? Because I remember watching Coach Elliott and 
a little bit of a maniac. We, we all remember the uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> the mosh pits before the game and stuff like that. And, again, that's one of the things that made him such a great coach. And, obviously, I think you really saw an example of his character when he took over as the head coach in 2015 at the end of that season. But, Sean Elliott, what can you say about him, a guy that obviously had a huge impact while he was in Columbia? Oh, first of all, I got to say he's a great guy. Just helped me out personally getting there. Like, he made me kind of, I guess, come out of my shell. He forced me to come out of my shell when I first got there. Because, <laughs> you know, I was – a young guy, I don't know nothing. I'm fresh out of high school and coming in early. It's like I, I didn't know anything, but like he helped me a lot. Just like uh, on a personal level as well as football, and he was kind of the person that took me under his wing and kind of taught me football as a whole. For sure. Now I, I want to jump ahead to that 2014 year for you, DJ. Again, you you finally get to play that year. You saw action in eight games, primarily on special teams, but you you did play a, a decent amount in that season. Um, how do you feel you were able to adjust to the college game, to the SEC game? Again, like you said, you spent 2013 blocking some of the best defensive linemen you'd ever see, but actually getting in-game, getting some action, like how would you grade or how did you feel about that first year where you were actually on the field for South Carolina? Uh, first year, I, I got to say it was exciting getting to sit out. I sat out for a whole year, you know, not really playing any games. So I was hmm. really excited to get back uh, – I was really excited because I was kind of that guy backing everybody up. And uh, I don't know, it was just kind of different being in it. Like, it was exciting. I could still tell, like, I was still kind of the young guy in there. Mm. But uh, it, was, it was really fun. And I got to get the experience of, like, playing in a few games, like you said. And uh, it kind of helped shape me into the football player I am now, just getting that experience. And I have, that goes back to Coach Ferry and Coach Elliott, like, giving me the opportunity to get in that game. For sure. Now, DJ, one of the most interesting things about you and your career, and I, again, I've had some of your former teammates on who experienced this as well, but you've really seen – you saw South Carolina football in many different ways from the heights of 2013 to Steve Spurrier's resignation to, you know, really her early successes in the Will Muschamp era. So I'm curious – you know, it's, it's crazy just how much perspective a guy like you would have in the ways, again – how much you saw while you were in Columbia, but 2015, um, just kind of walk me through that whole week, I guess, when Steve Spurrier resigned. I mean, I, I've talked to Perry Orth and some of your other teammates, and it was something where guys kind of felt like maybe they could see it coming a little bit. I mean, do you, do you fall in that camp as well? Did you sort of sense and feel that that was going to happen that week with his body language and the way he was saying things at practice? And once you got the news, what was your overall reaction to it? Oh, I can say – it wasn't even that week. It was the the weekend we played LSU and we were down there. And I'll never forget it. I was standing on the sideline in the front end. I just, like, finally hit, like, a 64-yard touchdown right down the middle. I just saw him, like, usually he'd be mad and he'll throw it, you know, he'll throw down the earphones and he'll just walk to the other sideline. Like, this time he just took him off. He walked down to the other sideline just by himself and didn't say a word and just kind of stared off. I was like, he's out here. Like it just it looked like it just took all the wind out of his sails. And like you said, of course, coming that week, he was acting weird. Like he didn't take his golf cart, he didn't take his golf cart to practice. He just kind of walked out there, you know, gave it, gave the feel one of those like, yeah, this is going to be the last time on. Right after that, he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm out of here. So as a player, when was it was it kind of a shell shock to you guys? I mean, was it again, you felt like it was coming, but I mean, I, I, don't, I don't feel like it's one of those things you probably think is really going to happen. And then, of course, he steps down and Sean Elliott takes over for, I guess, the second half or the last third of that season. I mean, 
you know, as a player, again, you know, somebody you get recruited by this man, you, you think they're going to be there all four years and then, you know, it just doesn't work out for whatever reason. I mean, what's the adjustment like for you in that moment? There, I feel like there's so much uncertainty, you know, and, and at that time, I guess, 2015, the, the transfer portal and transferring wasn't quite as popular as it is now. But of course, in today's game, man, you just see guys just bolt and take off and, and uh, you know, go pursue opportunities elsewhere just because of the uncertainty. I mean, what what was going through your mind as far as your football career was concerned? Uh, Football-wise, I mean, I, it was kind of going – it was a rough season anyway. But uh, football-wise, I always felt like I could kind of adjust to any kind of situation I was in. So, me personally, I wasn't really stressing that hard. I was just kind of wondering what was going on. And – uh. I don't know. I just was like, I don't, I don't know. We just got to finish yeah. out the season at this point. And like I said, and we I, talked I, about – yeah, I was just going to say, we talked about Sean Elliott earlier. I'd love to hear you just kind of expand on the job you feel like he did at the end of that season because, again, that's obviously your position coach. And, you know, he got that opportunity. I know there were a lot of people that wanted him to stay as the head coach at South Carolina. And, of course, now he's at Georgia State doing big things. But speak on that job that you feel like Coach Elliott did at the end of the season. Again, I think most Gamecock fans would agree that – uh you know, while maybe wins and losses, whatever, don't necessarily reflect how, you know, how you would have liked it to have gone, I think it's hard to argue that Coach Elliott didn't do a really, really good job closing out that year. Oh, yeah, I, I think he did a great job, especially, like, coming off of uh, the season we were having at that point. Mm. And uh, following up Spurry on the offense uh, side of the ball is kind of a hard thing to do, and I got to give it to him. Like, I got to give it to all the offense coaches. They did a great job, you know following up with what we had going on that season and especially getting thrown in that position just out of the blue with no warning. And like, yeah, he did a great job. He even made time to come back with the offensive line. So I definitely appreciate him for that. For sure. Now, again, you were one of the one of the guys who helped start the Will Muschamp era as well in Columbia. Obviously, Will Muschamp gets hired. I think it was December of 2015. Coach gets the job. Um, just, just talk about, again, the beginning of the Muschamp era, those first couple of meetings. Obviously, there was a culture shift. There was a change, if you will. Um, and you guys hit the ground running immediately. I mean, it was effort, toughness, discipline. It was, you know, knocking heads every single day. You know, from what I've heard, again, from your past teammates, the practices were extremely physical. And, and there was certainly a, a culture change, if you will. But just talk about Will Muschamp. He takes over. You know, what's that overall experience like in those first couple of months while he's on campus? Uh, first couple of months, I have to say, like you said, like he just kind of kicked it up a notch. Uh, reason being, he wanted, he said, if you wanted to be here, he wanted you to prove that you wanted to be here. And I appreciate him. I appreciate him that for them. And, uh, he came with a whole bunch of energy, a bunch of energy that we really needed at the time. And I, I have to say, and uh, he kind of, I don't know, he kind of lit the fire back again, you know, mm. turn around from everybody just kind of fading off from Spurrier to like, all right, we got a chance again. Like we got somebody who really wants to be here, really wants the coaches, really wants to see us succeed, not just here in college, but succeed in life and football if that's what we choose to do. Mm. For sure. In that 2016 season, Will Muschamp's first season, obviously you saw your most action DJ in a Gamecock uniform starting three games in that one. Just talk about, you know, at that point, you've been on campus for a while. I mean, you've definitely been huh. at South Carolina for a little bit there and, because I, I wanted to ask, you know, what clicked for you? Was it simply just having more experience? Obviously, you'd gotten bigger, faster, stronger in the weight room. You're a guy that, you know, has been around the block a time or two, so you kind of know what you're doing. But uh, what do you feel like all just sort of came together that year where you were able to really get on the field and make an impact for the Gamecocks? Um, I, I'd probably say, like, uh, coming in and having that kind of culture change, 
really helped me and like really kind of got me really excited for football again. Mm. And uh, working with getting to work with Dillman and seeing like the differences and what we were doing, I think that kind of helped me physically as well as I guess uh, mentally get my game back on point. Just going through a few things personally at that point, and I just kind of needed to turn around. That's kind of turn around really helped me because mm. I used to. Uh, that was the point I just lived in the weight room during when he first came. <laughs> For sure. Now, before we get into 2017, DJ, because that 2017 season, you guys did win the Outback Bowl. And I want to talk about the three bowl wins that you were a part of. And again, not a lot of guys can say that. I mean, not a lot of college football mm-hmm. players can say they won three bowl games. And you were a part of three teams that won bowl games. Of course, that first year you were on campus, the Gamecocks, Connor Shaw, Jadavion Clowney, those guys led South Carolina to the Capital One Bowl win over Wisconsin. Then your next year, the Independence Bowl win over Miami, which was a really, really big one. You thought maybe that was kind of the spark for Steve Spurrier's last season, which, of course, it was not. But then that 2017 season, you guys win the Outback Bowl, beat Michigan, a crazy come-from-behind game. What do you most remember from those three bowl victories? What are things that sort of stand out to you? Because, again, like I said, not many college football players can sit there and hang their hat on that and say they won three bowl games while they were in college. Uh, I, I'd probably say the most I remember, I guess, from freshman year, it was like I, it was just exciting. The energy was just next level, especially coming over freshman. I never been to a bowl game before. Mm-hmm. So I was I was excited, man. The whole week was fun leading up to the game. And the same with the other two. I mean, it was – at that point, I got used to it, but it, it it was just exciting, you know, getting to get out of town. You get on to play another team that you don't normally play. And it was just all the energy when we practice and stuff was just next level. Mm. And you really get to kind of step outside what you're kind of used to and just kind of go to a different atmosphere and just kind of change things up. Mm. Now, that 2017 season, DJ, again, really the, the breakout season for Will Muschamp, especially early in the tenure, you know, just second year, at South Carolina, you guys win nine games, win the Outback Bowl. That was a very memorable, memorable season for many different reasons. Just just talk about that year as a whole. What do you most remember from that year? And, again, because it turned out to be the uh, the most successful year that Will Muschamp had at South Carolina. What do you feel like clicked for you guys as a whole in that 2017 season? Uh, I would say that majority of people are kind of more so on the same page at that point. Everybody was like a – kind of clicking and we kind of knew what we wanted to do and where we wanted to take things. And uh, I don't know, it just kind of, everything started kind of lining up where it should have been. Mm. Uh, of course, like the injuries took a lot of people, uh, it took a lot of people that season. I kind of think that's what kind of held us back in the long mm. run. Uh, but yeah, it's, honestly, it just everybody was kind of on the same page. Everybody knew what we wanted to do and we had the players to do what we needed to do. And I'll ask you this, DJ. Again, you can go into as much or as little detail as you want. I, I'd love to hear your perspective on the injuries. Because like you said, I mean, during your time at South Carolina and during the Will Muschamp era, that was just something – I mean, the Gamecocks were just snake-bitten with injuries year after year after year. Was it just simply bad luck, or was there something to it in your mind that 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 made that happen? Or, again, was it just pure bad luck while he was there? I would say it's more just bad luck. I mean, because injuries that people had, it was just random. I mean, I I can say because I got injured myself. Right. <laughs> so I was like, it's it was just things that happened. You know, I, I, I don't know if it was just things piling up on top of each other or what or whatever going on, but I, I have to treat it bad luck. Mm. You know, For sure. 
Yeah, for sure. I, I wanted to say, DJ, I, I wanted to hear more about your professional career because I know you're a guy, I believe you're still playing right now, pursuing professional football, and you played in the Canadian Football League for the Toronto Argonauts for a little bit. Just just talk about what it's been like post-South Carolina pursuing the dream, continuing to chase football. Obviously, you, you've, you've had some stops along the way, but I, I'd love to hear your perspective and kind of let fans know, too, you know, where you're currently at, kind of what's next for, for DJ Park, if you will. Oh, yes, sir. Uh... Well, first of all, getting a chance to go to the CFL was great. Uh, kind of just got there off of a tryout randomly one day. I tried out the big team. So, uh, yeah, professional-wise, it's been a kind of eye-opener because I was used to college and having a structure, and now it's like no structure. It's, just, it's all me. <laughs> all <right. laughs> uh, but uh, I've loved the professional scene. Uh, it's, it's a lot more serious here. Uh, people, you take everything. You don't take it for granted anymore. Like, college sometimes high school you take things for granted and professional like, like you just thankful to be on somebody's team in a uniform doing what you love mm. and uh i have to say i've learned a lot coming out of college in terms of like football and stuff because it's more serious and i got to sit down with uh, a bunch of great coaches and get a bunch of opportunities to play for different teams uh like uh, I got to play in the two first seasons of the spring league. So that was exciting. Getting to play with guys I played with. I actually played with uh, one of my old teammates, Blake Kemper. So, I mean, oh, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, it, it's been an interesting experience. It's been fun, but I really see the business side of it now. Oh, yeah. So where are you at now? I'm curious. I, I might have missed that. Where are you at now? Uh, currently, I just got back from playing in the spring league. Okay. Uh, Trying to get on with either a CFL or NFL team and mm. talk to some people here and there and trying to see what what happens before this uh camp starts for either one. For sure. Now, DJ, I, I gotta get I gotta ask you this. I want to go back to your time at South Carolina, but even after, because I know you're a guy again from the state of South Carolina and you keep up with the program mm. and all that good stuff. And obviously the the Will Muschamp era coming to an end last season, Shane Beamer taking over as head coach with the Gamecocks, and obviously vibes are high right now, and everybody's excited for the 2021 year. But I'm curious to get your take, because, again, you left South Carolina 2017. I mean, things are riding high, just won an Outback Bowl. I mean, everybody's thinking to themselves, okay, the Gamecocks are about to get back, contend with Georgia and Florida, and contend for an SEC East title, and, and get back to Atlanta, if you will. Were you surprised at the way – things unfolded and eventually ended for Will Muschamp? Because I'm sure, again, leaving at that point, you're thinking to yourself, okay, I'm leaving this program off in, in great shape. You know what I mean? You're like, mm. I'm sure you're kind of like, hey, what the hell happened? What did you guys do? But, I mean, were, were you surprised to look and see the way things sort of unfolded after you left and eventually, again, last year with with uh, with Muschamp no longer being the head coach? Uh, I have to say yes and no. Yes in the fact that uh... – like you said, everything was kind of riding high. Everybody was kind of clicking on the same page. Of course, you lose a lot of a lot of veteran guys that were playing for a while. Mm. Of course, injuries again, plagued by injuries again. But uh, no in regards of I kind of got to see it before coming off of that 11-2 season with Spurrier and stuff like that. And I can see, like, even if you got good coaches, even if you got a good plan, things don't really turn out how you want them to turn out. Mm. And living through that, I was kind of like, it can go either way. <laughs> for sure. Now, you mentioned you visited South Carolina for the 2010 Alabama game. I know Shane Beamer was on staff at that time, but I'm not sure if he if he recruited you or not or if you had any interactions with him. But obviously, Shane Beamer taking over as the head football coach, and he had that previous stint 
at South County. And again, like I said, right now we're in the honeymoon phase. Vibes are high. Everybody's really excited for the 2021 season and the overall culture change and what Coach Beamer's brought to Gamecocks football. Just, But just talk about, are you familiar with Coach Beamer at all? Have you ever had any interactions with him? Have you had the chance to get back to campus and, and kind of see what they're building? And overall, just for the future of South Carolina football, again, your overall thoughts on the state of the program currently as it begins a new era under Shane Beamer. Uh, I haven't gotten to uh, get back to campus in a while. I, I haven't gotten to meet Coach Beamer in person yet. Uh, but just seeing the guys and seeing some of how the uh, players there are talking about them, some guys I've played with, uh, they're, they're really excited. I mean, they just kind of feel like they can take things up to a whole new level than they had uh, previously. And I didn't – just based off that, I'm expecting big things from – I'm expecting uh, <laughs> big plays and great players. Mm. Were you able to watch any Carolina football last year, but like Kevin Harris and what he did on the in the running game last year? Oh yeah, I definitely saw him. Right okay, I, I wanted to ask you like how much of a because obviously you blocked for some really good ones during your time at Columbia as well. You know, I think back to Mike Davis and Kenny Miles and and uh, Rico Dowdle and and all those other guys as well. But uh, you know, Kevin Harris, obviously, what he did last year in a ten game SEC schedule and that offensive line because you know it's funny we're about to start breaking down these position units and everything and. The Gamecocks return four or five offensive linemen, and surely you can speak to just how much of a luxury that is when you've got that continuity and that familiarity with all those guys coming back. But Kevin Harris, how much fun is it blocking for a guy like that? You know that you don't necessarily have to give him the biggest hole, but he is just going to – he gets a small crease, and he's going to make something out of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just gives you a lot of reassurance, and it makes your job a whole, just a whole lot easier. And uh, the easier job is, the bigger you can make the holes. <laughs> I mean, <it> just, <laughs> For sure. <laughs> it just gives you a whole lot of confidence. Like, everything doesn't have to be perfect for him to go score. You know, you can depend on him to break a tackle and get some more yards. Like, it's – I don't know. It just brings a whole bunch of reassurance when you got really got a good running back that day. Mm. No, for sure. For sure. Well, DJ, this has been a pleasure. I'm going to get you out of here, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Last thing before I let you go. Uh, just when you look back on your career at South Carolina, again, it's so interesting because you saw a little bit of everything while you were in Columbia. The highs of 2013, like I mentioned, the resignation of Steve Spurrier, you know, the beginning of the Will Muschamp era, and then back to the highs of the 2017 Outback Bowl. I guess what stands out from your career at Carolina? I know that's kind of a loaded question, but if there's one thing maybe off the wall, whether it's on the field, off the field, just your biggest takeaway from your time in Columbia, most vivid memory from your career as a Gamecock. Uh, most, most vivid memory, I, I definitely say it's, it's the atmosphere at the stadium, playing on Saturday, especially Saturday night, because, uh, I hear Sandstorm now, and that's exactly what my mind goes back to. Yeah, <laughs> I like to think about the white towels and all the fans and stuff, and I, I have to say that's probably the biggest takeaway, and, uh, yeah, that, that's probably the biggest thing that really stood out to me there. Uh, was there was there one game was there one game during your career that was like the loudest or the most memorable in regards to atmosphere and like the craziness oh uh, i just have to say seven o'clock night games yeah or night games in general it was just like we had to play like georgia at night or something like that it was just crazy you already know the stadium was going to be packed you knew the energy was going to be up there it's like Winning or losing, like fans were just up there and then us having a great time, and it just made you have a great time as well. Mm. And I have to say that, yeah, they, they really made my experience there memorable. Absolutely. Well, I know we're all looking forward to getting it back to that this fall with 100% capacity. And, you know, that first game for Shane Beamer, seven o'clock kickoff. I know it's Eastern Illinois, but 
I'm fully expecting Willie B to be rocking press fans are all clamoring to get back in the stadium and, and make that thing shake once again, for sure. But DJ, I appreciate you taking the time, man. It's an absolute pleasure. I know I speak for all of Gamecock nation when I say it was a blast watching you did, do what you did. Again, there were a ton of great memories and, you know, appreciate you, what you did for the Gamecocks. And obviously, best of luck. We'll be keeping up with your professional football career and everything else. And uh, like I said, I appreciate you taking the time. And let's definitely do it again soon. Yes, sir. No problem. For sure. He's DJ Park. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time with another episode of the Spurs Up Show. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done